Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you. It's already a fantastic morning this morning. As a matter of fact, since joining North Boulevard in 2015, my family has had every week a fantastic week at North Boulevard. It is such an honor to be a part of this church. But maybe the last two weeks take the cake. I'm not sure because the last two weeks have been particularly exciting. Lots of people coming to faith in Jesus. I'll show this picture. Tag camp was open two weeks ago. Am I the only one excited about the fact that the camp was open two weeks ago? So our Boulevard kids and the youth group. And by the way, the West Campus launched our first kids camp last week. And here's a picture of that kids camp as well. Really excited about that. I'm looking at some young campers who came to that right in front of me. And if you were not here, I know we already made reference to this Wednesday night. We had Sing Worship Night 2021, and it was really a fantastic night. The room... The room was so electric, my phone charged in my pocket. That's, I got to stop that stuff. That was a really, really fantastic night. So in 2008, a man by the name of Norm Miller and some of his friends discovered a problem and they sought out to fix it. In their city of Dallas, Texas, the problem they noticed was that everyone was living me first. Have you ever seen this? Me first. My wants, my desires, my dreams. Everything else is just in the way of me first. And to solve the problem, a nonprofit was founded that I bet you will recognize. It's the nonprofit I Am Second. It started in 2008 just early enough in the digital age as videos were hitting the internet and people were starting to watch videos that way, they decided to jump on the train early enough and to have a room, a white chair, and a camera where well-known people would sit in the white chair and talk about how for the first time in their life they realized that actually they weren't first. So you recognize some of these people. You saw Annie Lobert. You'll see Phil Robertson, others that you probably know by name. They all ended their testimonies the same way. My name is Propaganda, for instance, and I am second. I am second. One of the most notable ones was uh, Brian Welch, who's coming. You'll see his picture. It's the real cute one uh, just next of this one. There he is, yes. Uh, he's the lead of Corn, and shocked the world when he sat down in that white chair, looked in the camera, and he said, I tried everything. I tried rock and roll, sex, drugs. I tried fame. I tried money. But I only found the meaning of life when I found Christ. And according to his own words, he said, the meaning of life is this, that everything was made for Christ and by Christ, and we only live when we live in him. That's his words. He sounds like a preacher, but he was with the band Corn. So the, own, uh, the founder himself, Norm Miller, he says about these stories and about the founding of this nonprofit, the real people in these stories came from a mix of backgrounds, but their theme rang consistent, like so many people, and I'm sure you're in this. They had tried living for themselves, but it left them addicted, alone, purposelessness, and lost. Norm says that the only way, only when they put Jesus first in their lives, did they find peace and freedom. 
So I know uh, North Boulevard well enough, being here for quite a few years, to know that you probably already believe everything I'm saying. Now, surely there are people here who are seeking. And someone might be here who's not yet learned that God is first and that by putting Jesus first, your life is going to be better. But I would assume many of you already know this truth. Your Bible begins on page one the same way my Bible begins on page one. In the beginning, God. Yeah. In sequence and in significance, God is first and he has no competition. In sequence and in significance, God is first. So rather than proving that to you, because I, I do want to assume a little knowledge here, rather than proving that, here's what I want to try to accomplish in the sermon today. This white chair is where we all need to be seated, and I'm sure at least at one point in your life, you sat in it. I am second. But my question is, are you sitting in it today? Are you sitting in it today? And are you sitting in it longer than just a 30-second or two-minute testimony is your day reflecting that you are second? Are your decisions reflecting that you are second? And are you receiving the power that comes from being second to God? Now, to, to do that, we're going to dig into Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's a fantastic chapter. Just uh, by way of reminder, or maybe if you're new, in Deuteronomy 26, Moses is preaching to the Israelite people. They're going to soon cross over into land that they don't currently own. They'll possess the land. He's preparing them for what to do when they possess the land, helping them decide even before they get it how they're going to live their lives before God. So in chapter 26, we'll read about first fruits, tithes, and then really sweetly a renewal of covenant vows. Let's begin in verse 1. Remember, but first God. When you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. We'll pause at verse 2. So again, just setting up the scene. They have not yet gotten this land. Uh, by the way, this is a really powerful thing to, to consider. Before they get the land, God is teaching them how to celebrate the victory they have not yet even engaged in. That's how confident God is in himself. He teaches you how to celebrate before you even engage in the battle. What you're going to do to celebrate, you'll take the first fruits of the land and go to the one place that God has chosen for his name. These first fruits include the following according to Hebrew tradition. Wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. My kids would only hear it if I said pizza. So just imagine, this is pizza for you. And they're to take it, and they're to go to the one place of worship, and they are to dedicate them to the Lord. Why? So it's important for you to know that Israel is in transition as they come into Canaan's land. They've been a nomadic people. They were in slavery for 430 years in Egypt. They've spent a wilderness, a generation in the wilderness. And now they're making a transition from being a nomadic people to being an agrarian people. And this transition is crucial. And how they make this transition is crucial. It's an opportunity for them to forget God. And Moses forbids that. So here's how they're going to make the transition. The long-awaited crop will come. When it comes, they're not just going to rush in and do what they want with the crop. They're going to pause. And that pause defines Israel. They're not like everyone else. The pause defines them. And that pause will define you. 
We don't just start eating. Rather, they're learning, and Moses is using this first fruits moment as a teachable moment to teach this. Here it is. Prioritize God's glorification over personal gratification. This is maturity. And it's the way Israel is expected to go from a nomadic to an agrarian society. We don't just rush in and eat the first fruits. No, 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 no. This is a sign of God's faithfulness. We're going to honor that before we do anything else. Verse 3. And say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord. There's going to be a lot of declaring in the chapter today. You shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Armenian, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. This is reference most likely to Jacob, who left southern Canaan, went up and lived with Laban and Aram, married Leah, Rachel, then fled to Egypt for provision to escape a famine. So what you're going to get here is then the whole story of how the Israelite people came to be, including the fact that when he went to Egypt, it was just a small seed, 70 people in all. And in tough environments, God multiplied what was just a small seed to a great multitude. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the emphasis here is on the Lord. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs of wonders. He, God, brought us to this place, and He, God, gave us this land, an abundant land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, you the Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. A much longer ceremony than just a 10-second prayer before dinner, but very worthwhile. Again, this is a crucial transition from a nomadic people to an agrarian people. How are they going to handle it? Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. So by retelling the story of their ancestors and God's faithfulness, Israel's doing here what you'll see as a theme throughout the scriptures. Every time they worship, is a retelling of the story. Passover is a retelling of the story. The Pentecost festival is a retelling of the story so that Israel will remember that God kept his word. He made a promise to our ancestors. He's come through on the promise. And the fruit that you're holding in your hand is because God is faithful to his promises. So we don't just rush to eat. Because God kept his word, it's time for us to worship. That's the argument here. God is faithful to his word. That means it's time for you and for me to worship. Verse 12. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, and the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. He mentions tithes. Just a quick thing. Israel had multiple tithes. The first goes by several, several different names. You call it the Levitical or the sacred tithe. It's for the ministry that the priests would do in the house of, the, of God. Second is the tithe of the feast, the temple tithe that funded the annual celebrations that were hosted in that one place of worship. 
Number two, since we just talked about church camp, you might consider like a tithe for church camp. This is the family vacation. We're getting away and we're honoring our God as we travel. Number three is the tithe that's being mentioned here. It's the tithe that's for the poor. And it's a third and the sixth year of the Israel's seven-year economic cycle is to be for the poor. It's a community effort to make sure everyone is cared for. Verse 13, then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow according to all you command. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed it while I was unclean, nor have I offered it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God and have done everything you commanded me to do. So this is some strange language, but just a cursory look. What you need to know is that they were not to use it for their own advantage, and they weren't to use this sacred portion, this third-year tithe, in any unclean, ceremonial unclean ways. And that's what's being referenced there. I've kept it separate for you, God, to honor you and to put you first. Verse 15, look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, And bless your people Israel and the land you've given us as you promised on oath to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws, carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. So a little bit more on tithing that applies to you. So as we mentioned tithes, uh, I'm just going to kind of bring back to your attention something that was already in your notes earlier this series, but I get it. Not everybody probably saw these, so I'm going to go through them really quickly. Five quick things on tithing, and then we'll get right back to the heart of the text. The Bible teaches us that everything we have belongs to God. Would you affirm that? Amen? We are only fund managers of God's account. That's the primary view of economics in the Bible. Number two, a God-oriented view of money produces contentment. So if you wonder why you can't have enough— it's likely that your priorities are out of line concerning your money. People who put God first find contentment financially. Number three, we must never love the things of this world, including and maybe especially money. So if for no other reason tithing is helpful for keeping money at arm's length from your heart, you get it. So we don't want to fall in love with money. And tithing is a wonderful practice for keeping it at arm's length. Number four, tithing is a universal standard and practice in the Bible. It predates the law of Moses. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Jacob tithed before the law of Moses was ever written. This is why it's still the standard for God's people, even though there's not an explicit command in the New Testament. And number five, the people on which... Uh, it really started the church. The earliest disciples gave far more than 10%, as Israel did. Because if you accumulate all of Israel's tithes, it's more like 20 to 30%. And the early church gave a lot. They gave generously and sacrificially out of their abundance. Now back to the text. And as we wrap up our text this morning, it's going to be like a wedding ceremony and the renewal of vows. So I just went to a wedding recently. And because we're a sentimental people and we, we really love emotion, and by the way, I do too in our culture, the first look 
the groom sees the bride, that first look is like the highlight for most people when it comes to wedding day. For me, because I'm still old school, the vows are still the most important part of the wedding ceremony. And here we're going to see Israel and God exchange vows again and renew the covenant. Here it goes. You have declared, so this is Israel's vows to God. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God, that you will walk in obedience to him. You will keep his decrees, commands, and laws that you will listen to him. And Israel says, we do. This is your vow. And the Lord has declared his vow that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you were to keep all his commands. He has also declared. So you're going to see who does the heavy lifting in this relationship. It's not Israel. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. These vows are really helpful in understanding why you would become second to God's first. Here's why. God demands to be first in your life because he designed you to be second. And you'll really only ever flourish when you're second. It's how he made you. It's how he made you. One of the best illustrations, at least I can think of, to show this takes me all the way back to my papa's auto body shop in McMinnville. So it was just behind his house, and when we visited papa, we would walk behind the house and on up to the auto body shop. And just behind the shop was a paint shop. And I love to go and just banter with my papa and all of the workers in these two shops. I preferred the paint shop because it was a little slower pace and the instruments weren't as loud. But every time I would go, I'd find a car that looked like this. Does anybody know what's going on to this car? It doesn't look great yet. It has a coat of primer over the vehicle. So it's been repaired, uh, and now primer is covering the whole original paint of this vehicle. And I would just jokingly say to Papa and to the whole crew, I'd say, if you guys keep giving cars back that look like this, your shop won't last long. Because this thing is ugly. But they would explain to me, we put putty and primer all over the first vehicle, all over the first coating, so that we can cover imperfections. We can cover the repair work. And if you want the paint you bought to really be the paint you bought, you have to put the primer down first. So if you want your car to be this brilliant red, the primer goes first and preserves the brilliance of the red or the green or the blue. And this applies to you. So with God being first, whatever paint color he made you to be will show up in its brilliance, in its proper color, if the primer is on the vehicle first. And that sounds a little bit us-centered. Like you will only be the person God made you to be if God is first in your life. Otherwise, your color is going to be a little bit mixed in with the previous color. Let me tell you, though, C.S. Lewis says it like this, and I'm going to read a little bit more from this. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. When first things are first, second things are not suppressed but increased. He's actually, when he writes this quote, he's writing to his wife. He's writing a letter to his wife. And I'm going to give you a little bit more of the letter so you can understand what he means. He says, to love you as I should, talking to his wife, I should worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. 
And Kristen, I'm immediately sorry I don't write letters this good. I'm sorry. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving toward the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. In plain English, he's saying, if I replace you with God, it's actually going to be bad for you, my wife. Because if I love God first, and here's the quote again, then second things will be increased, not suppressed. It's how you were designed. So what I think we need to do is notice when Jesus in Matthew 6, says things this way, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. He's leaving for you a truth that someday, hopefully today, you'll discover. And here's the truth. It's a good idea for you to put God first. It's a good idea for your marriage to put God first. It's a good idea for your business. It's a good idea for your mind and your body and your health to put God first in your life. So what we're going to do for the remainder of the sermon is talk about how to do that. Let's imagine that you do want to get back in that I am second seat. Here's how you do it. Number one, tell the truth about your time. Give the first appointment to God. Tell the truth about your time. Give the first appointment to God. Here's why I say tell the truth about your time. There's a lie we have all told, me included, that we actually no longer even believe, but we still use it. Here's the lie. I didn't have time this morning for God. I didn't have time yesterday. You tell your D group leader, I didn't do it. I didn't have time for that prayer assignment. And it's cringeworthy because we don't even really believe it anymore. It still comes out sometimes, but we've long past called it out. You do have time for God. The first 15 minutes of your day are the most crucial minutes in your day for setting the tone for what is most important, what comes first. We don't, y'all ready? We don't check the Facebook until we check the good book. (laughs) At least you'll remember that though. You will remember that. We don't meet with anybody else until we meet with the Lord. He's our first affection, our very first attention. We set the tone of the day by going to God first. So when your alarm goes off, remember why you're waking up. You're waking up for the Lord. You're waking up to be with the Lord. Jesus gets up very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he leaves the house. He goes off to a solitary place and he prays. And we hear this, you know, every year we hear a teaching on, like, God first. Jesus went to God first. But Jesus didn't worship his to-do list. He didn't need a head start, a jump start on his day to get started on the many tasks he had. Jesus was God first. And you do have time in your morning. I had a telemarketer call me three weeks ago. And he used one of the most clever lines I've heard in sales. Maybe one of you salesmen have have, have used this before. He called me. I'm typically really quick to just be like, hey, I'm not buying. I need to get off the phone. But on this guy, I gave him a little bit more time. He He was laughing a lot. He had good energy. He said, hey, David, when's your first appointment tomorrow morning? I said, I have my first meeting at 7 a.m. He said, all right, I'll take the 6 a.m. And it was clever enough. I almost gave it to him. It actually made me laugh. And I thought after the call, I didn't give him the 6 a.m., by the way. I thought after the call, there is somebody in my life who has the authority to use that line. It's, it's what God says to me before I fall asleep every night. David, when is your first thing? 
I have a meeting at 7 a.m. Okay, I'll take this 6 a.m. Let me, let me be the first. Let me start it off. Because you were actually designed to give me attention and affection before anybody else. So the first 15 minutes of the day and the first day of your week. Now, I would be preaching to the choir if I said how you need to be with the church in some way, shape, or form, or at home, but still gathering with the church in that way, because we dedicate our week to God when we come to church. This is why we're here. It's the first of the week. But I also just need to point this out. COVID has changed things, hasn't it? Here's something COVID has changed in at least some of us, but maybe not many, and definitely not all. During the shutdown— during the slower months of 2020, some people reprioritized their days and reprioritized their weeks and got really lax with the Sunday morning stuff and stopped watching online, didn't, you know, obviously had reasons not to get out, but didn't prioritize it to meet with their family or view the stream online. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Let me tell you what I'm saying. So at this point, it might actually be difficult for you to prioritize this. Because at some point, you might have started getting a head start on your week and doing other things and other tasks and really beginning to do things that were on your mind. But you're, you're conflicted because you know that you can dedicate your week right here to God. I want to encourage you. Fight that battle and win that battle. I know you have a big week ahead, but first, God. Paul says when he traveled on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Actually, Luke wrote this because Luke was with Paul, and this is the norm of the church. We come together on the first day of the week. We prioritize it to give God our first fruits. And then I'll also add this. The first day of the month. Did you know at North Boulevard, as we're learning from the global south, we're learning from the global south to truly put God first, to become truly dependent on God. So as we're doing that, there's a team at North Boulevard called the Fast First Team. You might not have known about this, but I want to tell you about it today. So in the global south, there are many days of prayer and fasting. And we come and we learn from our brothers and we're like, hey, how do we do this? And they're like, well, start at a manageable pace and start small, start slow, and you can grow big. Here's the way we've chosen at North Boulevard to start that. The first day of the month, if you'll join this team, we'll send a reminder to you and you dedicate the first day to prayer and fasting. And in the reminder, you're going to receive notifications about where the kingdom of God needs to go, where the lost people are, where North Boulevard is on the tip of the spear, advancing the kingdom of God in lost regions of our world. And you will be joining a team that dedicates the first of the month to the advancement of God's kingdom. Four months in to being the campus minister at the West Campus, I was sitting in the back of the auditorium, and a lady who had been in the third row all service got up as soon as service ended and made a beeline right back to me at the prayer corner. And by the way, I'm not going to say your name but I think you'll know who you are as I tell this story. She came right back to me. I was so nervous. Four months in, I thought, what stupid thing did I do? What did I forget? What, what's the complaint going to be? But she came to me and she said, I need help. And I need you to pray for me today. And I said, how can I pray? She said, I've joined the fast first team. I'm fasting the first meal of my day. I'm fasting the second meal of my day. Would you please pray right now? for God to help me with my third meal. That is what's going on at North Boulevard. This is the heartbeat of the church. I said, of course I'll pray. So you know who you are first. 
thanks for not having a complaint. And second, I've been praying for you. (laughs) I've been praying for you. All right, this is what we're about. We dedicate ourselves the very first of the month to God. If you want to join the team, you can write fast first on your connection card or, and I'm so excited to tell you to do this, you can also email the administrative assistant at the West Campus, Rosalind Scales. She's going to love me for this. scales at nblvd.org. That's in your notes. I'm hoping the next time I meet with Rosalind, she smacks me for saying what I'm saying today. Blow up her inbox. Let's dedicate the first of the month to God. Blackaby wrote a book called Experience in God, and he lays this out in the most convicting way. He says, I hear many people say, I really struggle trying to have time alone with God. If that's a problem you face, let me suggest something. Make the priority in your life to love him with all your heart. That will solve most of your problem with your quiet time. People who struggle to spend time with God don't have a scheduling problem. They have a love problem. So get back in that I am second seat and start your day and your week and your month off right. And moms and dads, before I go to number two, please, moms and dads, whatever strategy you choose for starting your day, your week, and your month, make sure your kids know God is first in your life. So however you do it, do it in a way where your kids know actually God has first access to mom and to dad and not even me. God is first. Number two, don't just dig in again. Consecrate before you consume. Here's how you develop a God-first mentality. Don't just dig in again. Consecrate before you consume. Let me tell you what I mean. From our text today, and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. This long-awaited crop. I place the basket before the Lord my God, and I bow down before him. Do you remember when we used to pray before we would eat? Like, like all of us? And our families used to pray before we would eat? And when you could go to a restaurant and identify the believers? Because they would pray before they would eat. There's something actually really, really special about that and very significant. So before you receive a good thing, We're not like everybody else, and we don't just indulge. We worship before we indulge. We consecrate before we consume to prove to ourselves and everyone around us God is first in our lives. I hope um, the dinner table training at home is going a little bit better than it is for us. When we're training our kids, we pray before we eat. How's it going for you at your house? Our prayers include french fries dangling out the side of the mouth, People slipping bites and drinks and a lot of smacking hands. Hey, hey, hey. God's first. God first. And when the food is in front of you and you're really hungry, remember, but first God. And it doesn't actually just apply to food before you receive any good thing. So raise your hand if you have a plan this summer to go on a vacation. Doesn't matter how big, how far, how small. Raise your hand. You're going somewhere on vacation. Okay, me as well. Uh, Christians... Don't go for the ocean. We don't go for the mountain. We go for the God of the ocean and for the God of the mountain. Here's a a practice you might consider. You stand on the beach. You really just want to jump in, but you grab a hand and you praise the God of the ocean before you swim. And that pause defines you and it will define your family and it will prove. But first, God 
in your life. Number three, put your money where your faith is and invest in the best. Put your money where your faith is and invest in the best. So the principle of tithing, we give God our first, the first fruits offering, we give him our best. We give him the stuff we're most eager to have ourselves. That applies for us today because it's the only way for you to make an internal investment. I remember at um, 15 years old, I got a first gig cutting lawns. And I'm going to tell this story for one reason, and I'm going to tell you the reason now so you don't think I'm exalting myself. Here's the reason I'm telling the story. Young people struggle to give today. Like young people are not giving like we ought to be giving. I'm telling the story to tell you how I started and to encourage you to start, especially if you're young like me. I was 15. I got my first paycheck from cutting lawns, $70. I cut a few lawns that week. I was really excited to have the money. I make it to Sunday gathering, and I have $7 in my hand. It's going to be my very first time with not mama's money or my granny's money, but like my money when the plate passes. So we pass the plate. It comes my way. And I'll never forget the first Sunday I put my $7 in the plate. And I'll be honest with you. I watched that plate quite a long time. (laughs) I remember distinctly turning in my pew and watching it go around the whole congregation. And I felt emotions I hadn't felt before. I I wouldn't say I was conflicted. I wanted to do it. But I did feel things I hadn't felt before. And I believe very strongly, and this is, again, for the younger people who are listening, if you're struggling to give, I believe very strongly that on that day, I took a step from being a boy to being a man. A a boy would just participate and consume and take and have. But even if it's just $7, on that day, I remember thinking, okay, I'm in the game now. And somebody is dropping $700, and some other dude three rows behind me is probably dropping $7,000. But my seven means I'm here, and I'm in the game. And it matters to me. And young person, however terrifying it might be to think about parting with your money, I do not regret dropping in those $7. And I haven't regretted it any Sunday since. Even though now I give a little bit more than $7. I don't regret it. The early church invested in these three things, and you'll read about them in the scriptures, and they're worth your investment. They they invested in funding the teaching of the gospel. Number two, offering aid to Christians in need. And number three, extending compassion to a hurting world. There is no greater way for you to invest your money than in these things. And no, this is not a commercial for North Boulevard, but I will say this. When you give to North Boulevard, you give to these things. It's a great investment of your money. My um, son, I'm back, to, I'm back to little kid land because it's where we live right now. My son um, lost a tooth and an incredibly generous tooth fairy, far too generous tooth fairy, put a $5 bill in there for this tooth. He gets up the next morning. He's so excited about this first tooth fairy experience. He comes in and he immediately wants to get on my Amazon app to find $5 toys on the Amazon app. And I'm like, all right, here we go. This is going to be hard, but it's worth the time. I said, hey, dude, all right, this is your first lesson in this. It's going to challenge you. But instead of buying a $5 toy, 
let's take two of the quarters. That leaves you with $4.50, and let's buy a $4.50 toy, and these other two quarters will go to God. Because in this family, we, we love God first. We want to value him first. I'm still trying to talk, and my seven-year-old is like, no! So again, I start kicking myself, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm too early. I didn't do this right. Maybe I, we, we should have sang his favorite camp song first, something. The next time he lost a tooth, the tooth fairy puts a $1 bill, praise God, a $1 bill under his pillow. I come in the room. He's excited, a little less excited, but he's still excited. He's like, I got this money for my tooth. And he says, hey, what can I buy for 75 cents? It's kind of hard to say that. It's like, you know, okay, it's, it's hard. But he said, if I, I know a dollar is four quarters. If I give one quarter to God, what can I get for 75 cents? Some of you are judging me because he didn't save any of it. We're not there yet. <laughs> Parent your own kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. It's a hard lesson. It's hard when you're seven. It's hard when you're 70 if your heart's not there yet and you're learning to give. I'll tell you, when you give, you lay up eternal investment. You lay up treasure in heaven and it can't be touched. And it will be there for you. And God says, I'll restore everything given up to you a hundredfold. It's the best use of your money. Sean, I meant to grab one. Can you hand me a communion cup? I'm going to wrap up, and let me first ask you a question, and then we're going to get to this. You see this chair? Are you sitting in this chair? So after all we've learned today, are you in this chair? Were you in it at one point, and then you got up out of it? Or were you in it for two minutes to tell a really cool God story about how he touched you, but you're actually still not sitting in it? I want to encourage you to sit in it. I'm encouraging me, my family. I don't do all of this all that well. I'm, but we've got to get back in this chair. We've got to get back in this chair. As we wrap up, uh, one neat thing about 26, chapter 26. So whoever grabbed those first fruits, the initial first harvest, what they were grabbing was incredibly significant. What they were putting in their hands and then in that basket was a symbol of God's faithfulness to the covenant he had established with Israel. So when they picked it, they could say with utmost confidence, my God loves me. And God is good to me. And as the crops were for Israel, would you grab your communion cups? So the cross for you. There is a greater emblem today that God has kept his covenant, and the, the emblem is right in front of you. On the cross, Jesus says, I have kept the covenant that God has made with you. So when you grab this, you can say with more confidence than anything else you'll say today, God loves me. God is good to me. God has done everything he said he would do for me right here on the cross. Jesus' body, this bread, his blood, the grape juice, 
takes us right back to when Israel would have put in the basket, gone to Jerusalem later, fallen on their faces and worshiped God. Would you guys stand with me? I want to take this with you together. Online, would you grab your communion supplies? I know it's a little different order. But 26, chapter 26 is about how God did everything he needed to do to keep the covenant for you. That's what this means for us today. I'm going to pray for the bread, and then we're going to take it together, and I'll pray for the the cup. Lord, you have done everything you promised. On the cross, in Jesus, you have kept the covenant, and there's still more blessing to come. But as we take this bread, we honor you with our first fruits of the week, of today, and we receive this good blessing in worship right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Lord, as we turn our attention to the cup, I'm immediately taken back to those who would have had grapes in their basket making the journey. And here we stand with this grape juice given to us by you, proving that you have done all that you needed to do to confirm this covenant with us. You are first in our lives, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Sean?